Number six. How do you prepare set piece encounters? Should be a good one. Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic. I'm Chris Salzman. My name is Andy Rao. And we are joined this week by Christopher Becker. How you doing? Good. Thanks for joining us. Um, so Christopher, we know you uh, from the Ann Arbor District Library. Um, you did the RPG Fest a couple years ago. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, John Corey signed up to do like a video series that you're putting on uh, for like running games and things like that. So yeah, like, why don't you tell me a little bit about that and, and what, what the plan is there? Sure. Well, because of COVID and quarantine, we don't have any live programming at the library right now. Yeah. And Audrey and I were pretty disappointed about that. So we decided to go ahead and have a kind of online RPG fest. Unfortunately, we're not able to play games online. Uh, but we did want to present something to the public so every saturday in september we're having a different video program all about gming or gaming or something related to gaming that is So, so cool yeah can you give us a sneak peek at all like what are the what are the topics that people chose Absolutely. So we've got a whole session on painting minis that kicks it off. Oh, yes. And then we have one on improv and all kinds of, you know, things to do with Mad Libs during a session, especially with Dungeon World. And then we've got GM Tips. And that ranges far and wide. And then we wrap everything up with alternatives to D&D. Oh, that's really cool. That's super fun. Yeah. That is a great lineup of uh, topics. Yeah. We're excited. So where does one go to, uh, for my benefit and also for listener benefits, where does one go to find out more or to watch these things come September? Right. It's all on AADL.TV and that's hosted by YouTube. So, uh, but you can go to AADL.TV and it should link to RPG Fest. Cool. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, I know the um, the library has been really inspirational with how you've transitioned to doing so much video stuff. So I think like I've been emailing with you a little bit, Christopher, about the story times that you've been doing for kids and things like that. So my daughter's watched a couple of those. She's five. And, you know, so during quarantine, it was just lovely to have have librarians really putting in the effort to put those things together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. Thanks. So um why don't you tell us a little bit about sort of your history with gaming, I guess, right? Like, so, I mean, you, you run cons now, right? At the library. Like, how did you, how did you go from, from not gaming to doing this? Right. Well, I kind of hit on D and D as a little kid. I, I started with the white box of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, wow. Nice. And I, I will be honest, a lot of things did not make any sense at all to me. I didn't have any dice either. I just had these weird little books, but they were, it was just like a world had uh, unfolded before me. It was mm-hmm. so exciting. And I was happy when things like the Player's Handbook and DMG came out so I could understand what was going on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know uh, if you had an experience like this, Chris, but that makes me think of when I was younger, I didn't know anyone else who was, who like played these games. And I didn't really know until I hit like college or grad school that I was doing it right because oh. I just was never in other people's games. I didn't know anyone else who gamed. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> um, so did you, so since you, I mean, you started as a kid, right? Have you just been playing continuously? Did you take any breaks? Yeah. Uh, I played in high school a lot. Mm-hmm. 
we had a lot of fun and then I didn't play for so long, probably, right. you know, 10, 15 years, but right. I always read the books. I was always so interested to play and was always looking for a group. You know, my, my old high school friends lived elsewhere. I couldn't play with them. And you know what it's like playing an RPG, I think is a very, I don't want to say intimate, but it's a very personal thing. You have mm -hmm. to trust your players. You want them to be both really invested, but I find it helps if they're your friends. Yeah. So getting your friends interested in playing and then everyone gets busy and... <laughs> it's hard to get people together sometimes. So yeah. I've now I only play about two to three times a year in a campaign that I'm running. And oh, I, I have a lot of fun. Is that a is it like an ongoing campaign that you, you're playing from year to year? It it is. <laughs> oh, it's super cool. Okay. Yeah. So how does that like how does your prep change then if you're only playing two to three times a year? Well, it's a good question. I actually write a little one page piece of fiction um, for each player. I did it before the first game and I do mm -hmm. it in between games. So they kind of remember what's going on and they feel some motivation. You know, sometimes it'll say your goal, this yeah. <laughs> episode is just to stay alive, you yeah. know, or something like that. Have you had pretty good luck uh, as you say, getting your friends who I assume are, you know, similarly aged to you, grown adult with responsibilities. Have you had pretty good luck in getting them interested in the game? I have. I I have a probably a bigger reluctance because I grew up in an era when playing D D was so stigmatized that I really sometimes feel embarrassed to tell people yeah uh my wife makes fun of me all the time she says <laughs> yeah. oh just get over it yeah. <laughs> but um uh, I, I you know i play a lot of board games with friends and so that's a kind of easy transition actually sure. mm -hmm. we've talked to a lot of people with a really similar sort of gaming trajectory where there's lots of gaming back when you're a kid you have all this time then you take a big break and then for some reason you hit your 30s or something like that, and people seem to be getting drawn back into the game. Can you talk a little bit about what what ended your break from D&D? The idea that, that I'm older and I love gaming so much, and in the past few years, I've been around so many gamers who have who've told me about such exciting games, and I just have thought gaming of all sorts is something I just love, and why am I not doing it? Yeah. Really? Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've been having like I had a conversation with my wife recently where I was like, I don't, I don't really feel like an adult because I, I felt like when I was younger, there was going to be this point at which all this stuff was going to change. Like I wasn't going to like video games anymore. You know, I was going to like, you know, grow up and it just doesn't seem to be happening. <laughs> right? Thankfully. Yeah, it's like, and it's, it's sort of that that admittance of like no like this is this is actually who I am like I'm not gonna be cooler than this or whatever. 
Yeah. Chris, if, if, Chris, if we were to take a look at your computer, would we find a lot of uh, the offspring and stuff in your Spotify playlists? Uh, like... No. Okay. No, it would be, it'd be very disappointing to you what okay. you would see. Okay. So you've grown up at least musically, if not uh, if not another. Oh, no, no, not absolutely not. No, I, I listened to mostly the Final Fantasy VI soundtrack, okay. just as I did when I was... That's even <laughs> worse than the offspring. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, before I embarrass myself too much more, we should maybe move on to our um, move on to our topic at hand. Um, so this is a good one. This is a how do you prepare set piece encounters? Um, so I'm going to take a stab at sort of defining this, and then we can we can kind of debate on whether that's a good definition. Um, but when I think about set piece encounters, these are these are not like random rolls on a table. These are not like the the lackeys in you know the first room in the dungeon. These are like the the boss encounters, or these are sort of encounters that you've taken some time to think through, like, you know, the setting, you know, who's going to be there and sort of what it means to the story. Does that sound like a, a good, a good explanation of what set piece is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Um, so maybe let's start by like, does anyone have a good story of like a, a set piece encounter that went well? Hopefully <laughs> this doesn't mean that uh, our set pieces have all gone poorly. Well, let me, while we think about that, I have a slightly different introductory question is how, how often do you have an encounter that kind of meets the, the description that Chris just gave a, a big set piece mm-hmm. in a typical game? Do you, is there one encounter per game that is big and memorable? How does, how does that work for you guys? Yeah, there, there can be because, you know, it takes so long for me to tell a story. I don't have so many end bosses as such. And I incorporate some different kinds of storytelling elements in my games. I try to put a kind of uh, mini, like sometimes a little board game set of rules inside of a game. Mm. So I don't have the kind of end boss that I typically, that we, we might think of in a typical game. Also, I play GURPS mm. and combat is often so deadly <laughs> that, you know, I don't often have this kind of uh, very climactic end battle. Sure. Yeah, interesting. One spider can wipe everyone out. <laughs> huh. So walking across the room can be a set piece. In <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is interesting. Uh, it reminds me, I, I used to play Rollmaster, which it had a similar thing. Its combat system was, was pretty deadly. So even a fairly high-level character was always at risk a little bit more than in D and D and that does change your, uh, it does change how you approach like planning out encounters. Right. I was going to answer my own question and say that I usually, I usually find that there's probably about two encounters per game session that I run that fall into the sort of set piece, um, definition. I usually am playing for running a game for three or four hours. And I find that if there's kind of two big scenes, that'll probably each take, 45-ish or so minutes, those sort of wind up being the the central experiences of the night, you know, and then other stuff that's kind of more filler content connects them. How do you go about de- designing that, I guess? Yeah, so like if you're having, having sort of, yeah, two encounters to be like the meat of the session, then yeah, do you sit there and, and like write up everything or is it just sort of you improv it as it's going? I'm more likely to improv the filler stuff. Uh, so the, the, the set pieces are the times where I, I usually try to draw a map. I do look up all of the game stats and details that I need. 
And I tend to kind of document those really thoroughly in advance. Whereas lesser uh, combats or, or encounters, those are the ones I tend to just wing. Can I ask you a question? Please. Yeah. So with this kind of uh, big encounter, is it it's typically just a, a large combat? You've got a very formidable end boss, something like that, a bunch of minions. And so it's a kind of uh, hack fest, and, <laughs> which is very exciting. I would say for me, at least, although it often does wind up being like a big hack fest, as you say, it's maybe more it's that those are the most important scenes, you know, the the climactic scenes, uh, if you think mm-hmm. of it in sort of cinematic terms. And yeah, in if you're playing D&D, that's usually combat. So it's usually a big combat map that I'm prepping with lots of enemies. But to be totally accurate, it's more just that those are the the key scenes, the the ones that I am almost positive that the players will encounter. And so I want to put extra love into making them memorable. So yeah, how, how about you, Chris? Yeah, I um, whenever I think about these sorts of things, I find that I often end up going to the environment as, as the thing that I want to make distinct. So it's not like necessarily flipping through the monster manual and being like, yes, I want them to face this this specific enemy. Like it's more like what would be sort of a cool a cool place to walk into. And then to have have sort of some sort of combat for whatever reason, I just I just like that idea of like you're you're going through a dungeon and then you emerge upon this you know a location that looks entirely different from what you were just sort of in, and it really sort of sets the mood of like something big is going to happen here. Um, whether or not the combat then is underwhelming or great, you know, like from there, right? Like I, I want to give that that impression of like oh, this was like a cool room that we walked into, um, and that that sort of sets the stage. Yeah, I find like I'm not really all that great at running monsters when it comes down to it. Right? So I sort of have to rely on like clever settings <laughs> to make it work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what about what about in so in GURPS, right? You said like spiders can be deadly. So like, do you do you ever really have like, is there mini bosses or, or things like that, that that come out? In the last game, it took place in a town square and it was uh it was a kind of demon summoning. And so there were all these, you know, hooded figures and, you know, some more powerful figures that were there. And so the party crept up in the shadows to kind of get the jump on them. And so that was a really exciting scene. And we had a lot of fun with that because it was also timed. I really like to put a time constraint, Mm. uh, not on playing, but on a scene because yeah. I'm I'm always fighting in my games to add pressure of time or something to slightly creep my players out, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's something I really try to work on if I can uh, to get that in there. I've got a question for you both about this. When you think of a of an interesting encounter or some kind of uh, interesting plot piece or an end battle, have you ever experimented with either music or sound effects, or do you ever lay things out? I I have a lot of Dwarven Forge, and I often pre-make a scene on a giant piece of plywood, and then haul it out (laughs) and plop it on the table, which is kind of unwieldy. But it does kind of set the scene for, uh uh-oh, here it comes. (laughs) Yeah. 
That sounds amazing. And I'd love to see pictures, uh, by the way, if you've ever snapped a shot of a, a particularly good encounter. <laughs> yeah, sure. But yeah, yeah, I don't I don't have a ton of uh, terrain, but but I definitely do the same thing where I will uh, I will draw it out on a on maybe a big uh, piece of like poster board and put some extra care into the environment. And, and it is interesting how big a deal the environment is, I guess, now that Chris mentioned it. I put extra mm-hmm. care into it in that way that I wouldn't put into like a random uh, battle with goblins in a dungeon hallway or something. Mm-hmm. Right. How about you, Chris? Like one of the first bosses, I would say that I ran. I was playing theater of the mind for the most part in in that um, in that campaign. But for that boss, I decided to actually yeah like draw out a map and like have a grid and stuff that they they can move around. And it like. It was a very fun moment, right? It was not as dramatic as, you know, plop a big piece of plywood down. But if you're going from, like, sort of not having minis and not having anything like that to all of a sudden you have that, it felt like a big sort of reveal and a big moment. Moment to them, like, oh, we have to take this seriously because, right, this is there's a little bit more um, strategy going in into this. Um, yeah, so I liked, I liked doing that. And, yeah, from there, then, yeah, I would have a better idea of sort of the how things were going to be set up for, for those sorts of encounters. Yeah, it does make me wonder, like why can't every encounter sort of be a set piece, right? Like, like what, <laughs> like what's, what's sort of like the, the line at which it becomes something. Let's, let's say this, like what's the opposite of a set piece then, <laughs> right? Like, you know, what, what makes it a set piece versus just a, you know, kind of just a, a run of the mill encounter. For me, a lot of it comes down to the probability that the players will have that encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you don't always know which direction the players are going to go or which direction the story is going to take. It seems risky to spend a lot of time doing a real detailed mapping out of every single encounter. It does. Mm-hmm. It would be amazing to put as all that love into each little encounter, social encounter or combat encounter. But for me, part of defining kind of what a set piece is, what merits going out and buying a special miniature and, and a drawing out and spending an hour drawing it out on poster board is is it pretty close to 100% likely that the PCs will have this encounter if so mm-hmm. i'm going to go all in on it but nice. you know i don't i don't know where which route through the dungeon or the town they're going to take and and i'm not going to waste my time trying to guess because <laughs> i because i'm comfortable enough with the rules that that's i know that's something i can improvise on the fly so i don't know what about you guys you know, as we all know, players are just going to do whatever they're going to do, no matter how much you think you can prepare for every contingency. And I do just have to improvise all these NPCs that the players just want to talk to. It's yeah, like, what yeah. about that person or that person? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, over here. Yeah. <laughs> Look over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that's a really interesting question and way to think about it. You know, uh, what is the line? Can't everything be a set piece encounter? Why not? And, you know, how, how do you differentiate them? But I guess I had never really thought of the story of an adventure following these key encounters and everything else is kind of not exactly a red herring, but story filler yeah. to some mm-hmm. extent. Um yeah. Well, it's pacing. It's pacing, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, if every page of the novel, like everything was exploding all the time, you just you get used to it, right? So you want to have things go up and down. Right. Yeah. And at least for, uh, you know, D&D style fantasy, there's this 
metagame of resource management, of managing hit points and spells, and you got to find a way. I think that the big set piece encounters are more fun when they either reward or punish the way players have been managing their resources up to that point, you know, because mm-hmm. it makes a big difference if you go into the, the big boss fight with most of your spells depleted and no healing potions uh, mm-hmm. because you wasted time on frivolous encounters earlier. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Andy, that sounds like you might punish your players sometimes for, for not planning ahead. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. You'll be fine. Go in, go into the king's audience chamber. It's going to be fine. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> like that set of double doors is like ten times taller than your. <laughs> That's right. There's there's your door, safe. Go in. There's safe. There's beds behind this set of giant double doors. You can rest in and. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about GURPS, Christopher. Uh, I've played some GURPS over the years, and I have a lot of GURPS books that I use just for reference. But on this show, at least, GURPS gets uh, kind of joked about from time to time as being <laughs> a, uh, a, very, a very detailed and complex uh, system. And I'm curious... Is, does that have an effect? I, I don't know if you've also run like standard D&D, but is it a different thing prepping a big combat thing in GURPS? Does it take more time? Does it take more engagement with rules than D&D or not at all? Or um, how is it different running a, like a detailed and deadly game system like that? So despite the fact that I only play two to three times a year, sometimes my ambitions still exceed what I have time for. And I, early on, I, I tried to do this game years and years ago, and I ended up just looking for a particular mini and a particular rule. It was embarrassing. (laughs) And I, I really learned from that. It's like, Hey, no one cares you know? And so I end up, even though I love GURPS for all of its complexity and all of its crazy rules, everyone else just wants to have a good time. Mm -hmm. And if I played the way I think I would want to play, that may not be the case. So it's a kind of compromise between my internal love of rules <laughs> and the <laughs> players just want to know did i hit or not you know interesting yeah which is not the way probably most people play gerbs yeah <laughs> yeah so um i don't want to pull us too off topic but i'm i'm interested in this are your players engaged with the gerbs rules or they don't want to think about the rules they just want you to handle all of it they want to think about them a little bit They like looking at the detailed character sheets that I've made for them with elaborate backstories. Mm -hmm. And I'm delighted that they are willing to go with these characters that I've made for them. To me, as as someone who runs a game, there's no way I... Well, I shouldn't say that. I would... I'd be happy to have someone provide a detailed character for me. But on the other hand, I have a character that I would want to play that's in my head that I want (laughs) to experiment with. So I'm delighted that they are willing to just go with these characters that I've given them. But they don't want to look at the rule books. They don't want to dig into all these crazy point systems for everything. You know, they like to spend experience points and have fun 
mm-hmm. and they're also invested in the game. So yeah. that that just works for me. So that's great. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's really that. good. So uh, I have another question, if you guys don't mind me. Uh, so yeah. when we draw a lot of inspiration for our, our gaming stories and our campaigns, obviously from other mediums, like video mm-hmm. games and literature and movies, I'm curious if when you guys think of like epic set piece encounters, anything pops into your head from any of these other, from any movies or books that you've read. And I'll, I would love to hear if you guys have any thoughts on that. I'll share one that popped to mind instantly as soon as Christopher rolled this topic on the table. And as I often look at the uh, scene in the Fellowship of the Ring where the Fellowship is in Moria, in that chamber where they get the, the they get trapped by a bunch of orcs and trolls in this chamber. And mm-hmm. I've always liked the sequence that begins with that scene. And I've always thought it seemed like a really gamey, gameable sort of situation where there's this great tense fight in kind of an enclosed chamber. And then they realize that they are going to have to flee because they are outnumbered. And then they have this sort of running, uh, running battle to get out of um, out of the dungeon. I love watching that scene in the movies and reading it in the books. And mm-hmm. that seems kind of gameable to me. I'm curious if you guys have your own sort of favorite set pieces. It is a great scene. <laughs> yeah. Would you believe that that's, that's exactly what I was thinking of too? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> that's great. The thing that really sticks with me, right, is so that all ends with Gandalf facing the Balrog, right? And like, he, for all they know, he dies at the end of that, right? Like, yeah. it's it's this very dramatic sequence, right? You know, like, yeah, it starts with the fight. Like, you know, I think Frodo even gets, you know, stabbed pretty badly there. So, like, they think they might be losing him. Like, there's just all this damage that's being done to the Fellowship. And then it ends with Gandalf sort of disappearing off the face of the earth. Like, it's it's terrible for the party, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, the end result is terrible. but And it doesn't actually have, like, you don't have the big boss fight with the Balrog that you're expecting, yeah. right? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's this, they fight what you might call, like, a mini boss or two uh, in the form mm-hmm. of some trolls. But then after that, their mission is to not encounter the Balrog, right? And yeah. then Gandalf confronts it, but he doesn't even, you know, he get it's like a two-round battle before they fall yeah. off the bridge, right? Like, Yeah. How about yeah. you, Christopher? Well, uh, in the vein of Lord of the Rings, the, the scene that I found really effective is when Gandalf says, let's shed a little more light on this, I, I, if I'm remembering right, and it's this giant hall. Oh, Mm-hmm. underground and then there's a scene later on where frodo and gandalf are off on their own underground and you get this sense of traveling for days and days and days underground in the mm-hmm. dark which just sounds like a horror to me yeah yeah <laughs> and which i you know i haven't really brought that in to actually i did once i i had a mm-hmm really long passageway and my my characters were kind of stuck underground lost uh and that was really inspired from that yeah but i also really like you know what i guess whatever i watch i'm always thinking how can i funnel that into a game Mm -hmm. uh and my daughter and i have been watching uh miss fisher's murder mysteries oh Oh, yes And there, you know, uh, the whole Cthulhu mythos sometimes bleeds over into detective stories. Yeah. And I'm always, 
I, I have in my mind an idea for a detective player, a detective character set in a fantasy world. And I just think it would be kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, was it really the monster that killed all these people or was it a human uh, pretending it was a monster? You know, I, I mean, there, there are lots of ways it could go, yeah, yeah. but yeah. I, I really want to play with that. Are you familiar with the fantasy writer Glenn Cook? He wrote the Black Company series. Oh, no. He writes another series. There's a bunch of uh, books in this series about a fantasy private detective. And it's quite similar to what you just described. Uh, and the author's name is Glenn Cook. I forget the name of this series, but I can... If you Google Glenn Cook, it's uh, it's not the Black Company. It's like his other series. <laughs> and, okay, uh, great. I, I think you might enjoy it based on what you just said there. Oh, that sounds perfect. You know what? Yeah. This has made me think, though, even though we immediately kind of defaulted to talking about epic scenes like this as big battles, I find it kind of true that big battle scenes in movies are not like the typically the best scenes in movies. If you watch like a Marvel movie with the superheroes, I always find that the most memorable scenes in those movies are rarely the big 40 minute CGI explosion scenes. I certainly default when I'm thinking like, oh, what what should the big climactic encounter of this next adventure be? I certainly default to like what would be really cool to fight and where would mm-hmm. be a cool place to, to fight. Uh, but now I'm thinking I probably should have used a little bit more imagination because a lot of the cool scenes you watch in movies aren't these big running tactical fights. And even if they are, they're only interesting because of the, the interpersonal stuff that's going on. I'm like, yes, yes, it is cool to watch the Hulk punch something through a wall, right? Like, that's awesome, you know, <laughs> cool, right? But, like, it's more interesting to, like, think about, like, the Hulk fighting against himself, you know, or whatever, you know. Yeah. I don't know I don't know Marvel well enough to really, <laughs> really go on this this tangent. But, yeah, I think, like, in, and even going back to what you're saying about Fellowship, right, that whole sequence, too, right, there's a lot of interpersonal stuff happening and they're running away because they need to, you know, to make it out to the next thing, right? Like, and it's it's not the, like the culmination, like that moment is not the culmination of what they're doing. Like it is a, a point along the way that they mm. need to get through to the yeah. next thing. Um, whereas I think a lot of times, right. in like in D and D and these style of games, like when you're thinking about the set pieces, like, Oh, this is where they're going to defeat this specific evil in the game rather than it being they're rescuing someone or they're, you know, yeah, they're, it's a, it's a step on their journey. I've toyed with a couple of ideas. I, I, you know, I, I really don't like to pre-script the story for my players, but I have considered pulling one aside that I could trust to say, how do you feel about being a betrayer Ooh. of this whole group? And at a very climactic moment, you will betray them, you know? But mm-hmm. it, I can only ask one player because if they say, <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, okay, uh, player number two, can I talk to you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your, your, your next game's going to end with a tense standoff. <laughs> yeah. Have either of you guys ever tried to engineer a big dramatic scene like that by consulting with certain players in advance? Because no. there are there are certainly games these days that incorporate that sort of thing, 
where players will have some very explicit agendas that might conflict with other players that are designed to at least create the opportunity for these sorts of dramatic conflicts. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. So, Christopher, you've thought about doing this. Chris, have you uh, ever done something like that? No, I, I try to not do secret information much in games. I, there's something about it that just like doesn't seem right. But like when I'm playing board games, I love stuff like that. You know, it's great, right? Like yeah. the Battlestar Galactica board game is one of my oh, favorite, yeah. right? Like favorite board games ever, right? Anybody who's played it is like, that's amazing. I was yelling at my friends, like you know, it took <laughs> yeah. four hours. Like you, you have these really amazing stories of essentially lying to the people you love for <laughs> yes. hours at a time about your motivations and stuff. Well, um, like that's fantastic. But there's something about like party based RPGs like that where. I don't know. It just seems like kind of wrong. But that said, like I've thought about often, oftentimes, like everybody has cell phones, right? You could like be texting information to individual players, right? If you wanted them to to know something about a scene that the other people don't. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, a lot of good opportunities to do, do stuff like that. I just don't know how to do it in a way that makes me not feel like grossed out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It, it should probably concern us all that I completely concur. Why are the best board games the ones that center around <laughs> lying to your friends. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yes. yeah, it's a little disturbing. But. So uh, thinking about that a little bit, about different player player agendas, I'm curious if, if either of you guys have ever had the experience of watching your players create spontaneously or because of their own personal agendas or interests. Have they ever cre- created a big scene that ended up being really memorable that you were not planning at all? Or they took a minor encounter and made it something that you all look back at and remember as a centerpiece of the campaign. It it happened to to a game we were in that I was running. A player had been arrested and they really needed him out of jail. And I thought, how you know, this is this is not three musketeers. They're not gonna break him out. So mm-hmm. they had to make an actual speech to the public to kind of create this mob that demanded his release. And, you know, I was so thrilled because this player who, this friend of mine who seems kind of retiring and kind of quiet, he just totally rose to the challenge and gave this very memorable, moving speech. And... It made me realize if you give people an opportunity, they will often rise to the challenge. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, it was such a great moment in a game. That's so cool. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I had, uh, towards the end of my um, Horde of the Dragon Queen campaign, the players managed to convince like a cult that they were on its side. Like it was a, a frog god cult, something like that. Um, it, it was one of those things where it was like, I'll let them try it. And then they just kept on rolling well enough that it was like, well, I guess you're convincing them, right? You know, so like it really, it put this interesting twist on the end of it, right? Cause now that, now they had this, like this army behind them for kind of the final encounter. Right. And so there's all this other stuff started to happen. Right. So like this, the set piece that I had planned would have been good, but then it just got ratcheted up, you know, over and over, but based on kind of their reactions to the, the situation and, and then like in some ways making it much worse, but you know, yeah. much better. That's great. What about you, Andy? Any, 
Yeah, I've had one that springs to mind is in a Call of Cthulhu game, the investigators. The way the adventure was supposed to play out was they were supposed to investigate this organization, discover that it's a cult, and, you know, maybe infiltrate it or follow around some of the cult members and, you know, do a traditional solve the mystery, follow the clues sort of thing, and ultimately then confront and have a battle at the end. But they figured out way earlier in that timeline than I thought that, oh, hey, this is like a death cult that is going to end the world. And so then it was like, okay, we're... (laughs) We're going to get our guns and we're going to we're going to go in, uh, you know, we're going to go in right now. And it's like, wait, don't you want to spend like a couple of weeks investigating this first? They're like, no, we've, it's clear what we need to do. So we're going to do it now. So uh, and it turned into a really memorable gunfight slash arson slash uh, ritual uh, experience. I mean, it definitely had ended up having all the stuff you think of when you think big set piece encounter, yeah. uh, except I had to improvise it on the fly because they were not doing it the way i expected yeah is there any call of cthulhu game that doesn't end in some sort of terrible firefight (laughs) like like, can't you just converse with the cultists and explain to them that they're wrong for for my games it's it it doesn't always invite a firefight but involve a firefight but i feel like a good 70 percent of adventures end with like half of the town burning down uh like just (laughs) as a result of whatever happened usually because the players started it but uh yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that's good uh, all right well we we've been going for a little bit yeah we should we should wrap up here one of the things that uh we like to do christopher and i apologize if we're springing this on you without warning is uh we like to ask our guests to volunteer a new topic to replace the one that we just uh chose off of the list so i'm curious have you had any time uh, or are you taking time right now while I'm talking to uh, think of a good topic to replace the one we used? Yeah, I've got, I wrote down three. Whoa. And Ooh. you are more prepared than me or Chris is for this yeah. podcast. Then. This is, do you want to host? So <laughs> um, I think one, uh, the reason I wrote down three is because I don't, I did go through your list of past topics, but I don't know exactly what you've yeah. already covered. Yeah. One one of them I think is really interesting, but possibly too controversial. I don't know. Um, well, now you've got to say of, what it is. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of talk about how certain monsters are uh, following racial stereotypes, and mm-hmm. they're you know they're not uh, good for the hobby. You know, drow mm-hmm. are black skinned and evil, and mm-hmm. I think uh, Wizards of the Coast is trying to make their orcs less inherently evil and there are also i i mean so i'm not an expert on this i had to dig these up for a discussion at the library and i am really not equipped to talk about them so i'm just curious you know there are these potentially real world racial stereotypes that get laid on certain um character races Mm -hmm. yeah Maybe that's so serious, it's really not appropriate. I've got others. <laughs> no, I think that's that's a really good good topic, yeah. If you've either been gaming for a long time or in your GMing, you've dug back into game stuff that's been published over the last couple of decades, you're definitely going to run into stuff that you might call problematic, just for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be interesting to put that question on there. Although, as mm-hmm. you say, yeah, it would, we would want to be careful about the discussion that, um, yeah. that we have, but... <laughs> I like it. Let's, um, yeah, let's, we'll add that one to the list. We'll think of the best way to present it. So yeah, thank you. That's a good one. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. 
Let's see. Yeah. So I guess before before we wrap up, can you just one more time tell us about the the upcoming September stuff for the the library? Absolutely. I've been so inspired talking with people about uh, gaming, and we're going to be presenting all of these videos coming up in the month of September every mm -hmm. Saturday. They'll appear on AADL.TV as part mm -hmm. of our virtual uh, RPG Fest. And Andy, I think you talked to John as one of them, so I wasn't mm -hmm. part of that, but I did listen to it, and I found it equally inspiring. <laughs> and uh, everything together has just made me want to play more than two to three times a year <laughs> yeah yes yeah. yeah that's the hard part isn't it yeah, yeah. yes so uh, what's the date of the first one you said every like weekend Saturday, in september okay. i believe it's september 5th okay that's great yeah we'll, we'll definitely drop a, a link to that in the show notes for this um and then also on you know the website and things like that but yeah thank you so much christopher this was a great conversation we really appreciate you coming on oh uh, um, listen thank you yeah. uh yours was really one of the very first podcasts of anything that i've listened to oh. apart from night vale uh -huh. and as soon <laughs> as i listened to it i was just so drawn in and <laughs> oh my goodness I, really it's it's a great show so i'm <laughs> i'm so honored to be part of it thank oh, you well, thank you that thank is you. the the kindest thing anyone's ever said about this it, podcast. it <laughs> really is and i have to say yeah. also the uh the uh, rpg fest event that you uh put on with uh, audrey it really ended up being kind of weirdly central to this show i feel yeah. like uh oh, we yeah. spent a lot of time talking about it beforehand and then it's kind of shaped a lot of discussions ever since, I mean, probably every episode we do some sort of callback to an experience yeah. we had uh, while running at the RPG Fest. So it ended up being yeah. a, a really strangely uh, cool experience. So thank you for yes. all the great uh, game-related yeah. stuff that you do at the library. It's It's been really Thanks. awesome for me personally, and I know for a lot of other people yeah. too. So, Oh, that's wonderful. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. well thank you. <laughs> I think our, our, our time is up. Otherwise, we'll just kind of keep complimenting each other back and That's forth. That's right. You guys are just probably infuriating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, th thank you, Christopher, again for coming on. Um, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. And remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>